0: Welcome to Neochats, an interview-style podcast focusing on educating neonatal nurses caring for newborns and their families, hosted by Jenna Morton. It is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses, a nonprofit organization committed to the health and well-being of newborns and their families.
1: On this episode of NeoChats, we continue our focus on RSV with Dr. Aaron Chu. Dr. Chu is chair of Manitoba's RSV program, an associate professor of pediatrics, obstetrics, and gynecology at the University of Manitoba. He practices neonatology at both HSC Winnipeg Women's Hospital and St. Boniface Hospital. Welcome to NeoChats, Dr. Chu.
2: Thank you, Jenna. Thank you for having me today.
1: I'm so looking forward to this discussion because we've been talking a lot in this series on the podcast about RSV, and today we're really going to dive into the eligibility and the programming around it. And you have a bit of a a different approach than some people might have and some different background on data-driven alongside of traditional bedside methods in terms of trying to to get people into RSV programs. Can you share a little bit about your your experience with the programs with us?
2: Most certainly. Uh, I think it started when the RSV immunoprophylaxis program devolved into each of the provinces. So instead of being at the Canadian Blood Services, each province was required to run their own program. So I was involved in creating the program in Manitoba. We have been doing it for a while, pretty much since 1998. But when the program devolved, it was a matter of, well, how much money would we be able to get for the province for our patients with this? Uh, and we proposed a budget that was reasonable, but the government came back and says, no, that's too rich. And we will only be able to provide you with a budget of 1.5." million a year. And then when we looked at what we've been trying to do with the program, we realized uh, that's not going to be sustainable with the way that we're doing things. We have to find some means to give the product and provide the immunoprophylaxis program, but in a much more efficient means if we want to have the same number of individuals being protected. And that's sort of been the genesis of how we approach the program in Manitoba.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how those those benchmarks come to be in terms of who are we trying to get into the program?
2: So so that's an interesting perspective, because if you go across the country, you probably know that every province has their own unique perspective on how to do things. And uh, that might be different than the recommendation from the Canadian Pediatric Society or the, the NASI guidelines. So within our province, what makes sense to us is looking at the geographical distribution of our newborns or the patients at risk and really understand who is at risk and who would benefit most from a immunoprophylaxis program against RSV. And as you probably have heard in your previous podcast, RSV is ubiquitous. I mean, every season that's going to come along, we've had a very unique season this time around, and the product itself to try to protect uh, an infant or a patient isn't 100% So there's no guarantee with it. It's really only there to ensure that we decrease the amount of hospitalization at the highest at risk individual. So our program looks at, well, who is highest at risk and how we can optimize that protection for those individuals.
0: Join your neonatal nursing colleagues October 1st and 2nd, 2023, in Toronto for the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses Conference, CAN 2023. For all conference and program information, visit the CAN website at www.neonatalcan.ca. Updates and highlights will be posted as they become available.
1: When you're coming up with that idea of, you know, you've you've recognized who is most at risk then the next step is convincing those families to take part in the program i know that can be a challenge sometimes what what are some of the challenges you've run into and, and some of the solutions that you might have come up with
2: so so that's part of the the ulterior or maybe the most important part of the program itself because we have an opportunity to speak with the family every time they come in for a dose And our schedule is usually about every four weeks or so, or a month schedule. It is a great opportunity for a healthcare provider or a member of our team to touch base with the family, to see how the baby is doing out in the community, but also to reinforce the public health measures that we can do to prevent RSC and all the other viruses. So I think that's actually the most important part of things, to make sure that parents understand, hey, don't take your child out into a busy season, especially around Christmas when there are other colds and viruses, and during COVID as well to make sure that people understand how to wear a mask properly, how to wash your hands properly with it as well. So even when we try to en- uh, enroll a patient into the program, the discussion isn't so much about the product, the app that we give and coming to the clinic. The idea is that this is part of the whole package that we want to provide you to try to decrease the chance your child will pick up RSV and need to come to the hospital with this. But it requires you to be receptive to the information that we're giving and to be willing to come back to a clinic or a clinic that we can find close to you to so get the dose on schedule to ensure your, your baby or your child is continued to be protected. An interesting thing over the years is that we've seen where problems arise. So from a continuous quality improvement, we tried to drive change with the data that we get every year. So we looked at, well, which babies are the ones that do come back with RSV? And when we look at their data, we identified, well, a lot of it is those who are from rural and remote families. So even though we're able to get the dose up to them, to the community to get a dose, they're not always compliant with being on schedule. And it's not necessarily the family's fault. It may be because the people at, the, say, the nursing station or the remote community have such a turnover that they're not aware that they need to contact the family and we need to do more education to them. Or it might be that the family goes from community to community and people lose track of those. So it's one thing that we try to do every year to ensure that we keep in touch with the family to ensure that we get as much compliance as we could. And we actually do find, with the work that we do, we are getting a much higher compliance rate, and through that, a lot lower of those coming back in the hospital for uh, for RSV related hospitalizations.
1: We know that we're not at a stage where every infant can have access to this. So, for those families that are are you know in the NICU who hear about the program and then aren't eligible, what? tips or advice can you give to the nurses who are listening or that other healthcare practitioners who who have to talk with those families? What what tools and what things can they be saying to those families who, who don't qualify?
2: So we actually say it's a good thing because the program is looking at those who are at the highest risk. When a family is identified to say, no, you're actually not amongst the highest risk, we say, that's a great thing. You should be happy for that because Based on the information that we have, your child and your family environment and what you're doing will limit the chance a child has to have develop an RSV infection requiring to come back to the hospital with it. That is great. But here are the things that we want you to continue to do. And those are the public health measures that we talk about. Washing your hands. If somebody has a cold, make sure that they don't touch their nose before they touch the baby. Don't let people kiss your child when they have a runny nose. And that's something that we try to reinforce during the holiday seasons as well with it. So that's how we tell them, yeah, it's great that you're not eligible. But on the flip side, those who are eligible, we say, well, we can help you with this medication and this program, but that's only a small thing that we can do. You can play a bigger role in this. Let's see what we can do to try to encourage your home environment to be a lot safer. Now, there's some things you can't deal with. Having more children in the household, having kids going to school as risk factors with it, you can't change that. But you can always reinforce that. People coming back from school, maybe good idea to wash your hand before you come in. Those sort of simple measures add on to just the product on its own. And we found that those things are very receptive. People are very willing to hear. When they are enrolled into the program, they are already willing to take part and already to hear how they can limit the risk for their child. The interesting thing this past couple of years have been COVID had played a role in terms of people thinking this is not something that they want to participate in. And I think people in all provinces have seen families that have gone against immunization and they feel that immunizations uh, are becoming more invasive or, or not to their liking with it. And we try to remind them that this is not an immunization. This is not immunization against pertussis or tetanus. This is a passive immunization. This provides antibodies that we would normally develop on our own had we run into the virus. It's just case we're providing the antibodies for the child. And we find sometimes when we say that in that way, they understand this is not actual immunization. Even though we talk about it's an immunization program, this is a, a passive immunization program. And we get more parents that are receptive to that as well
1: just on that note, I'm wondering, uh, you know, talking about the season and, you know, the last two years really have been a little bit different than usual across the country and the world. But do you have any idea of what to expect for the next wave of RSV?
2: Oh, boy, that's a million dollar question. Um, we don't know. Uh, although, um, like other provinces, we graph dearly what our season looks like. And then we try to use that trend to compare a new season's coming along. So during the initial COVID wave, nobody saw RSV because there was such a public health to ensure that people are, are masking, washing their hands. And there was limitations in terms of what we can do outside with it. And then last year, we had a bit more of an unusual season. We actually had a double peak of a season with a bit of a lull with it. And as you probably heard, This year has been a very aggressive RSV season. But our season looks different than Ontario, than Montreal. And our season, it started just a bit earlier than other seasons, but really no different than three other years that we had where we had just an earlier start. But what was more interesting was just the much higher peak than all the other seasons that we've seen and a more slow decline than in prior years with it. Now, in past seasons when we had such aggressive seasons, what we usually see is that the following season tends to be a bit more of a lull with it, not as aggressive with it. But who knows? Because the season after, before this one, where we had the double peak, we sort of expected we're going to get much more rampant. We sort of expected this year's season as a pair compared to what we saw. So it's a real guess in terms of what we. Uh, where we're estimating will happen next year.
1: With there being so many variables, what is it that that keeps you interested in being involved with RSV programming at at such a
2: intense level? Uh, it's it's really because what we can do to impact the patients coming out from our NRCU. And not all. Uh, individuals who are eligible for RSV and prophylaxis are graduates from the NICU. I mean, there are others who are eligible for other reasons with it. But from my perspective, a lot of the patients that I've seen, it's to ensure that they continue to have good health as they move forward. So it's in a way to ensure once they leave the hospital that we're also looking after them until their lungs and their body mature so they can handle these things much more regularly. Uh, RSV is one of those things that you will always get it. It comes every year and we don't have immunity to it. So um, we will pretty much catch a cold as an adult from RSV every season that comes around with it. But it's really the first couple of years that put these patients that we have, the PREMs and the ones with lung problems, put them at highest risk. And as they get older, the lungs get bigger, they become less problematic with it. But those first couple of years, I think it's just a good way for us to ensure that they have less complications and let their body continue to heal continue to grow and have better health. The budget that we received when the program started, when we get official funding problems in 2010, I think it was, has been the same budget. But patient population, newborns, premature newborns, the number have increased year by year. So it's a a constant challenge for us to look at our program and look at, okay, how we can make our program more efficient so that we can manage the increased load of patients within the budget envelope that we have with it. Looking at how to limit the waste of the product itself. I'm not sure if if people, the nurses realize once we open a vial of the product, it only can be used for the next six hours. So that's why a lot of the programs have a set day of the week when they give this product so that we don't waste any drop of that product in the vial with it. And over the years, we have decreased uh, wastage to somewhere around 5%. Only 5% of the product never make it to a patient. And that's one way to try to ensure it. Similarly, ensuring that we track every product that gets shipped so that we know the product is being used if it goes to a remote community and where it is so we can redistribute it so that at the end of the year, we don't have medications sitting around that's never going to be used and it will expire in the next year or two. Those are things that are really interesting. Plus, during COVID, our focus has been not only to protect patients against RSV, but really look at what can we do to limit RSV as a reason patient come to the hospital. Because the number of beds in the hospital is finite and we're seeing more and more kids coming in so we've been working on that endeavor to say well what can we do in our program to try to decrease the burden of rsv to the children's hospital to ensure the bed space the human resources that are being stretched don't get stretched more from rsv so it's been a really interesting push to try to figure those things out
1: i think that uh sounds like a great place to wrap up our discussion for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this with me.
2: Well, thank you very much for listening. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Dr. Aaron Chu is a neonatologist at HSC Winnipeg Women's and St. Boniface Hospitals in Manitoba. He's an associate professor at the University of Manitoba and chair of the province's RSV program.
0: NeoChats is a project of the canadian association of neonatal nurses the content producer and host is jenna morton technical production by tosh taylor off the podcast hub for more information on the association visit our website at www.neonatalcan.ca or our facebook twitter or instagram pages